Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're listening. Welcome back to AI and the Future of Work. This is your host, Dan Turch, an advisor at Insight Finder, the system of intelligence for IT operations, and CEO of PeopleRain, the AI platform for IT and HR employee service. Thanks again to all of our loyal listeners for helping us turn this passion project into one of the most downloaded podcasts about the future of work. If you like what we do, please like, comment, and share this episode in your favorite podcast app. Your feedback means the world to us. Today, we get to meet a CEO with an unconventional background from outside a traditional tech hub. Uh, We do a lot of navel gazing here in Silicon Valley, but occasionally we get to learn about life beyond the bubble from amazing entrepreneurs like uh, Joe Raymond from Victory Farms in Kenya or Philip from Stories in the Czech Republic. Today we'll meet Nilima Paraskar, CEO of Snap IT Solutions from Overland Park, Kansas. Nilima has built a successful tech business over the past five or so years and inspired many others to pursue careers in technology along the way. Prior to Snap IT, Nilima was a leader at IBM. She's active in civic organizations in and around Kansas City. Snap IT develops apps and trains teams in areas like DevOps, cloud, security, and data science. Nilima's commitment to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals really permeates every aspect of the Snap IT culture. She's not just an entrepreneur, but also a purpose-driven leader with a mission. If you take nothing else away from today's discussion, listen to how Nilima is proving that it is possible to do well by doing good. Without further ado, Nilima, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Let's get started by uh, having you share a little bit about your background and how you got into this space. Dan, I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much. Um, I would uh, start with saying about two decades back, I started my journey in IT industry. I'm a computer sciences major, uh, got into IT um, as a developer um, and started working and understanding the systems and how the environment or the, the industry worked. And after a couple years into being a developer, I gr- grew into other spaces and finally landed in a management uh, you know, uh, exec role where I managed close to 200 plus IBMers worldwide. This is when I noticed the, the, the stark difference between the demand in the industry and the lack of IT talent here in the United States. In fact, the talent requirement globally was going down quite a bit, tremendously, even before COVID. So my journey started actually volunteering at STEM activities for girls and women and um, children who came from school districts that were not as uh, equipped as my kids' uh, school district. Over those uh, volunteer activities, I realized that these kids were more deprived than developing countries like India and China. Um, The community wanted to help, but they didn't understand what they needed to provide for these children to be able to bring them into high-paid and high-tech careers. So I guess my spark started there, understanding the industry 
and being in the industry for uh, by then it was 15 years and really understanding uh, my local community and looking at those kids and understanding what they how many barriers lie ahead of them to get to where they need to be and even though people were trying the community parents school was trying to help it was not to where they needed uh, to understand so that's when the vision started um six years back i launched uh, snap it um yes we are a technology company but our vision and mission is to bring more economic development through technology as a platform i in short i say let's use technology to grow people not the other way around to help us understand the work that snap it does could you pick a customer that you're most proud of and share with us the benefits that they uh, they receive from working with your team we have three typical different types of customer personas one is the student that comes through our training to develop through our quick and short trainings um and go through our, our training division and get to our products and uh, services division as our employees um i can quickly state a story about um this individual who came through um with no background in it um i remember the days that we were developing a small group of individuals because of uh, uh, the challenges of financial support that i needed to receive to be able to provide for that uh, uh, mentoring um the the amount of energy that they have utilized to bring themselves out of a shelter because uh, after moving cities from their parents uh, she moved to a shelter because of a, a abusive relationship and then um, moved into our uh, organization the amount of hard work uh, she showed in bringing her best self and within 3 months she got up to the shelter got herself a uh, you know apartment to live and then now she is uh, grown to become a, a kickass developer in many many languages decided to go back to the college and and complete her four year degree those are the stories that it inspire me pretty much every single day because of these stories that i do what we do the second persona of the uh, client that i can describe is um initially the 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 amount of challenges that this industry faces with four year degree manage a requirement is pretty high it's hard for us to retain these four year engineers and so on and so forth so one of the our bigger clients uh, gave us an opportunity about 3 and 1/2 years back and they started with this one pod small group of four individuals i guess four to five individuals that point immediately they realized that not only that we are getting their work done but with a higher quality and that um, that uh, that commitment from them increased year after year now we are at least 300% more than uh, what we started with uh, with them and they became a, one of our key key clients um, so number of jobs they had created using our you know our uh, business process is tremendous so these are some of the prime examples um, even though the company may not have 
be able to hire non-four-year degree computer sciences uh, individuals. They're still getting their work done and they're supporting a company that stands for this, which creates jobs locally. You are both a leader within Snap IT, but you're also a, a leader outside in the community. Uh, talk to us about your leadership style. I would like to be treating others the way I would like to be treated. That's pretty much at the core. Um, I'm very, I, I think of myself as a hardworking and dedicated individuals, individual who who has given my uh, the best even before Snap IT to any company that I work for. If I find people like that, I would I would lay down the platform below beneath them to be able to do what they need to do. I don't like managing people. I wish they see the effort that I'm putting in the company and uh, look at me as a leader rather than a manager. So we actually don't have any managers in our company. Um, I say that we hire adults who need to know how to manage themselves. And if that's the case, we don't need managers. We just need uh, accountability team to be able to figure things out and move on. So our leadership style is we, we instill ability to lead yourself first and then others would follow. Um, kind of uh, approach. So some say servant leader, um, but the the point, the difference would that be is I I want to attract hardworking, dedicated, and smart individuals and give them what they need, give all the tools they need and a platform they need to, uh, to develop. And aside from that, I'm not creating, hopefully I'm not creating any hindrance or you know removing that hindrance, in fact, and uh, let them be. That's, uh, that's how I want to be treated. And that's how I want to treat others. I have two school-aged daughters and I'm always looking for uh, strong female role models for them. Uh, you are a female CEO in a male-dominated field. Have you ever encountered what you consider any, any obstacles because of your gender or your background? And how have you, how have you overcome them? I reflect back to that question a while back, about uh, five years or so when I was starting my business, really early stages, coming out of corporate world to a, you know, really called wild. <laughs> Being an entrepreneur is getting out of the wild. And so the first meeting I remember with this possible um, uh, prospect of ours, and they said, are we expecting somebody else in the meeting? And that was a technical discussion. <laughs> They still today, till date, are our clients. And after the meeting was done, I said, no, not really. I would love to understand what your challenge is. And if I can't solve it, I would definitely find somebody else to come in. And then we got into conversation. And after the meeting was over, he sent an email saying, I would rather, I would not have this product de developed by anybody else because I've spoken to other developers over past two years who were just men uh, doing the tech work, nobody thought beyond just coding or just getting the work done. The, you know, the vision you had for not only the product, also for the client that we are creating and laying out the architectural details. Yes, it definitely is a male dominated. It's like a role model, right? You see a man in that role, you'll always 
think a man in that role. But did I, it hinder my, I think it was a small challenge. Every time that comes up, it, it's really a sweet challenge to go after. Truthfully, at the core, we all want to be successful. Whether we are successful with a man or a woman or a minority or, yeah. It's end of the day, if somebody is shying away from being successful because somebody else is a different gender, that's really sad. It's not sustainable. <laughs> so these small challenges keep us more active and more purpose-driven as well. Um, but I have to tell you, uh, about 90% of, uh, of our clientele is female in, in Snap IT. It's a female-supported um, you know, organization in that sense. Like all my clients come in, um, and most of them really, looking back, are female-supported. Um, so not many females are on uh, the leadership positions, yeah, at this point. So may, they may be a little slow in um, getting to understand our, especially in the tech world, right, understand. But once they understand and see the value for their organization, they don't need to work with us because they're doing good to the community. Really, that's not the key to it. it we are value-driven. If you see the value you'll definitely get it. We'd all like to think of the tech community as being a meritocracy where you're rewarded based on the merits of your work. And yet yeah. we know that there are some inherent biases and it's really, it's important that we have leaders out there like you who don't feel victimized and are out there really promoting all access uh, to, to what we do. Now, one of the things that uh, I know is a big part of who you are is that you give back to your community through very, various kind of civic uh, civic organizations that you contribute to. What do you think is the right role for government to play in training? Like the, the wonderful story that you mentioned about the, the developer who went through your program. Um, what role should government play in kind of catalyzing this, uh, th this upskilling? A major role. Think about this. And I'm talking way more broader than I could ever get to. But Here's what the thought process is. America has been a superpower because of our military capacity. If the wars are not waged in military capacity anymore, how do we grow our talent? How do we grow our uh, you know, combating skills in technology, biotech, healthcare? So these are our future wars. How do we grow our own talent so we don't depend on either you know offshore talent and then go into AI perspective, which is also I, I don't I'm not against or opposed to it, but there is a super intelligence in human uh, that we are losing the capacity to build AIs. So that what I the way I see is when I was attending World Economic Forum last year, last December uh, last Jan, Dubai announced one million coders. The entire government of Dubai has invested in generating one million quarters. Why are people doing this? Why are countries investing in technology and talent? Because that's the next era of how you can become a, a country that is holding the power. So industrialization is done before that does. You know, we are moving into an era where we need that talent. So the government really has been investing. It started with Obama's 
uh, tech hire grants and uh, but it is going into organizations that are not many people aware of. I work with workforce agencies in about seven states right now. Uh, workforce agencies get tech, um, you know, uh, training funds to uh, train tech, but not very many people are recognizing these funds coming through. And also, only four-year degree is not going to match the requirement need for our country. So yes, our government has been working on it, but we need a lot more leaders in the space at the higher uh, government uh, space, uh, tech to acknowledge this and bring in those reforms within the government as well. Not just expecting tech industry or the uh, private industry to catch up on this. So lead by example. We talk on this show mostly about AI and the future of work. And you said a very, you said a very eloquent, eloquently that uh, you know we should be investing in the the super intelligence of humans. <laughs> uh, what are some of the skills that you think are never good candidates for automation via AI? In business world, for example, there is still a requirement for no matter what, there is a requirement for human touch. There is always a requirement for human touch. The element that can hardly be replaced by AI. I was reflecting uh, a little more on this question and I, I thought, even if you a robo is close to human intelligence, it's a, it is 100 humans put together, for example, giving instructions for one robot. It is not the same as one person because we have faults in us. In us. The robot may not have faults and that faults makes us a lot more relatable than you know, a perfect looking robot right, right there, right? So that's, that, that faults make us a lot more touch with our emotions, a lot more touch with our humanity. And that essentially becomes a lot more to, you know, protect our planet and our resources on the planet. So there is something there that we may not completely understand at this point, but that human touch, it's a very vague thing, but I hope for the people who understand it, they understand it. True. Something that we can never uh, outsource to an AI. What is one thing that we will do at work in, let's say, a decade that will just be commonplace, but today might seem like science fiction? I would say with the COVID and all that, uh, you know, physical distance requirements and all that, I think the halogen and people coming into the room and the technology that is kind of available right now, but it feels very almost like, uh, you know, uh, science fiction, but that may become normal. People may walk into the room, you know, being somewhere and just you feel that they are coming in closer, right? That could be something because of our physical distance and the requirement to not be in, in person, that technology may be a lot more uh, prevalent in future. Just giving the same rem remembrance of how we used to be. Um, it's kind of sad and depressing, <laughs> but it is. You talked earlier about some work that you've done, uh, or at least your, your observations about the state of our investment in STEM careers. 
in the U.S. versus uh, other places, perhaps even less developed countries. What's it going to take for the United States to perhaps even achieve a leadership position in STEM education? Um, I think some of the activities in, t- in terms of awareness is happening within the schools. But I think the more prime role uh, a parent plays in a child's role is undermined if you're only having STEM activities in school. So how do um, employers or even parents get educated as to, because we are already seeing the difference in students or the kids connection with technology. And there is a stark difference. If you're not in IT or tech world, the parents are already half lost. And that gap is gonna grow more and more. Um, it's not like parents are not educated. They're educated, but not in technology, not aware of what happening in IT. So I think a lot more resources for the parents would be good for girls to know that they are role models out there. The girls of, parents of girls to know that there is a way to kick butt in this area and become a CEO, become a leader. It is difficult. It is sometimes so difficult, it's probably not worth it at times, but everybody goes through that, not just a woman or a girl, every entrepreneur goes through that. So understanding that and really reflecting on our society and giving the girl more um, confidence in doing what she's doing and not let her go the first problem or first challenge she faces. Um, I think if we need to have a holistic approach, uh, students are definitely getting a lot more information, I think, uh, from uh, other sources. Schools are working towards STEM. Um, there are organizations that are working to STEM activities, but not as much STEM awareness to the parents. I think that will be a good idea to bring in parents as well and incentivize the parents. Uh, maybe a tax benefit. I don't know. <laughs> you know, something to see through the veil of only challenge. Okay, if the kid is interested, then, then fine. Let's find a different way to really tackle it, right? So the way I believe in doing good is just giving funds doesn't make any good in our community. You know, teach a man to fish, don't give them a fish. So that's the approach that we need to take on this as well. Nilima, you've accomplished so much, but uh, as we all know, usually uh, all of our accomplishments are, uh, don't, don't happen alone. Uh, who are your role models and what have you learned from them? I've had a lot of people who inspired me through my journey. Um, as a kid, I would sit with my dad and you know, work as an engineer and I got inspired to be an engineer. Right. Uh, so it started there as an as a mother myself. I look at my mom and now I understand the challenges, what she went through being an entrepreneur herself. So, you know, the and I've had uh, uh, role models in my life who came to me. I have uh, people who have approached me, I think, uh, looking at my vision and my actions. Um, there are professor in Stanford, Ade Mobugunjo. He's always co- constantly mentoring and advising me. Ronnie Lowenstein, she, is, she has 50 years plus as an educator 
and in technology. They call her human hyperlink. Uh, she advises me. But I think my uh, the vision and the purpose that I put in front of me and always guided through that purpose and vision had brought me so many people who is now not only advisors and mentors, but sponsors. A lot of people have sponsored us when I was not in the room, Snapadi is not in the room. So I'm greatly indebted to that. Another set of inspiration that I get is the people that change their entire career, their life, their, their turnover things to be able to go through our trainings and get out of this, right? Those single moms and uh, you know, young adult male, young adult white male um, who has not had any support. I'm not, this is not color specific. It's financial uh, uh, inequality we are trying to fight. So there is a lot of those stories that inspire me. Lima, it feels like we're just getting started, but we're actually just about out of time. Uh, I can't let you go without one last question. Uh, we've been learning a little bit about, about your journey and what's inspired you. Roll back the clock. What, what is your advice for, let's say, you know, that little girl that's just getting interested in computer science? And, uh, you know, what, what, what would you tell her if you, could, if you could go back in time? I would say reflect on why you're getting so frustrated. Maybe that frust- if you reflect on frustration, then you'll, once you find your, discover your purpose, things will all fall in place. There was a lot of frustration, uh, you know, restlessness in me. A lot of it has come to a um, very streamlined approach um, once I found and discovered my purpose. Beautifully said. Nilima, where can our audience go to learn more about SnapIT? Um, our website, snapit.solutions. Um, that's the place that we try to put as much as information and update uh, on activities that we are having. We do have a LinkedIn um, uh, group as well, our LinkedIn page, and then um, a lot more is published on Facebook. So all these resources definitely and we're planning on doing a lot more on Instagram and creating a TikTok. <laughs> we'll make sure we get out to your, uh, your TikTok channel when it's published. Is TikTok a channel? I don't know. I'm dating myself. I know. I just what realized it? that it is. It, it's, it's an app, but uh, uh, the, you can have a tic, uh, your page on TikTok. My, my girls will make fun of me mercilessly. Not even, <laughs> not even knowing how to refer to a TikTok account. You should have them do a TikTok for <laughs> your channel. <laughs> That's what it would take. Well, Nilima, you're doing amazing work. And I really enjoyed this conversation. And I'd encourage everyone listening, go out and learn more about Nilima. Go out and learn more about Snap IT. Just a great example of doing well by doing good. Nilima, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dan. It's my pleasure. This is your host, Dan Turchin. Signing off for this week, but back next week with another fascinating guest.